Welcome to the Nerdaplexi Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. I do my own stunts. (laughs) So... Grab some uh, rocket packs, sit back, <laughs> relax, <laughs> as we dive into the Rocketeer. As we soar into the Rocketeer. Strap on your jet as packs we, yeah. as we soar into... I almost said Rocket Man. That's the Elton John one. Rocket Man! Oh, it's Elton John song, but it's also a Harlan Williams movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So grab your jetpack, sit back, and relax as we soar off into the Rocketeer. How about some background on the flying man? Yeah, yeah we're gonna turn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to Die boys, it's a trade secret. It's all part of the mystery. Uh, uh, why don't you just call him Rocket Boy? Nah, that's lousy. What about the Rocket Man? That's worse. The uh, uh, Missile Man. Now nah, that stinks. Come on, Bigelow, give us a better name. Come on, yeah. Bigelow. How about Rocketeer? All right, this one was released June 2nd, 1991, directed by Joe Johnson, starring Bill Campbell, Alan Arkin, Jennifer Connelly, and Timothy Dalton, plus about a million other character actors who you don't know their names, but every time you see them, you go, oh, there's that guy from that thing, or there's, oh, she's in X. The character actor I enjoy the most in this one is uh, Polito. He's in like every Coen Brothers Mm -hmm. movie, Miller's Crossing. You don't want to give him the hi-hat. Well, we'll get to all these when they come up, but there's a ton. There's folks from Deadwood. There's folks from everything in this one. Joe Johnson, he has a few movies. He doesn't have a lot of movies that he's directed, but the ones that he did direct are pretty impactful. Jumanji, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and uh, related to us here, he also directed Captain America, the First Avenger. Yeah. There are a lot of crossover themes in these two movies they're set in the same time yeah a lot of similar looks at one point in time in captain america he puts on the same gear that Mm -hmm. the rocketeer does it's the leather jacket and stuff those pants yeah i I honestly got i bet you that he got first avenger because of this movie they said we want something that looks like the rocketeer and then i was like fuck it well let's just get joe johnson so this one's got the style down pat we start off it's the 1930s the late 30s and we've got stunt pilot Cliff Secord. And the basic plot of the film is he finds an experimental jetpack that was hidden by some gangsters after a heist gone wrong. He dons the jetpack and gains the attention of the pack's original owners, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get it back. We initially see Cliff taking out his brand new racing plane, the... Oh, shit. I should have wrote it down. The BG, right? CB? The GB. GB. <laughs> We're professionals here, folks. We got this shit. (laughs) So anyhow, this is Cliff and PV's big plane, and they're going to take this baby all the way to Nationals, and this is the maiden voyage. So Cliff's going off. It's doing well. He's flying real fast. He does that trick where he flies real close to the ground. Very cool stuff. But as he's kind of flying around, putting the plane through its paces, he happens to fly over a police chase in progress, and they fucking blast him a little bit. And uh, cause the plane to crash. Yep, he gets oil all over his face. That scene is really effective. When the oil splashed up, that was spooky because it's so claustrophobic. His head is just in that little tiny little glass cockpit. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like that. No, I... (laughs) Thanks. Cliff struggles back to the airfield to land. The gangsters hide in the airfield... What we'll soon find out is the X-3 rocket pack, and he tries to escape then, and then he accidentally crashes with Cliff, and then in a continuing gag, which I really love, he blows up a gas tanker and also a fake rocket pack that the feds take with him. Cliff crashes, the plane is wrecked, and basically the feds are like, yeah, suck it. Um, sorry about your luck. Sue us, basically. Oh, finally clamming Uncle Sam. Who knows? You could get lucky. Cliff and PV are totally screwed they had sunk everything into this plane and now their plane is totally trashed one of the gangsters made it and they've taken him to the hospital so now that the boys are broke they have to take a dangerous stunt work to stay afloat from their uh, boss bigelow so bigelow's owns the 
gas truck that they exploded and they're trying to get money back to him by doing these circus stunts. Yeah, he blames them for blowing things up because it was his plane that crashed into the car and then the car crashed into the truck, which, yeah, come on, man. He's he's a shyster. Exactly. Cliff calls him a nickel nurser, which I thought's pretty funny. Nickel nurser. That's really funny. There's a bunch of good zingers and like name calling in this one the 30s vibes are perfect they don't say what it is but they call it the clown act so i'm guessing it's some real dangerous stunt stuff isn't this one of the ones you like have to climb on the wing and all that stuff like those old air show mm-hmm. i guess that's what they're kind of getting at here this age of aviation is a great time to set a movie because they had just basically invented flight and getting the hang of it for like general consumption during this time and it's kind of like the wild west like people were just doing whatever these things weren't regulated because nobody had an airplane so no one had laws to say you can't fly an airplane doing something crazy because that wasn't a thing so the plane that they're going to use for this clown trick that plane is where the gangster stashed the x3 and as they kind of going to put the plane through its paces they find this jetpack and they kind of don't have any idea what it does but then pv is a genius as he has himself proclaimed and is proven over and over again because he analyzes this thing he figures it all out in like no time in like an evening so it runs on alcohol he deduces they get the rocket the the pack and they kind of figure out oh my gosh it's a jetpack this is for real so they steal a statue and then tie the rocket to the statue and do a little test flight some little hijinks here it's kind of fun it zips around and crashes and we get a line he says i think we're gonna need a helmet and right after that we cut to his girlfriend jenny listening to music and the song starts you're a sweet little headache great catch wow it helps to watch with subtitles or else i probably wouldn't have caught that we cut to jenny's place and she's getting ready for a date and this is a great scene here where a car pulls up and all the girls rush to a window and jenny played here by jennifer Connolly, says whose is it and she says yours i just thought that whole moment was great how they're like waiting for their men to come pick them up and uh (laughs) i don't know the lady who runs the place says you know my rules no gentleman after 6 p.m well i'm no gentleman you can say that again she's great that landlady Mm -hmm. that's a lot of fun that interaction there cliff takes her on a date it's a pretty bullshit date, as we've seen. This and Dick Tracy, these guys have no idea how to treat these amazing women in their life because Cliff basically takes her to the pub down the road, the diner at the airfield. I mean, they did go see a movie, and it was uh, a Neville Sinclair joint. And he's like the Errol Flynn stand-in. Ah, uh, yes. We meet him very Flynn-like practicing his rapier work in his apartment. In front of a bunch of goons. Did you know that Errol Flynn was suspected of being a Nazi spy? <laughs> so this is Pharrell him. Mm-hmm. He was badass too. Count of Monte Cristo. Robin Hood, pirate movies. Yeah. This is kind of the era of movies where people who just had big personalities just became movie stars. I mean, it's not so different than it is today but that's kind of what they captured. Like, personas weren't really a thing at this point. I mean, They just filmed outsized characters. They also say that it's a rocket, like in the comics, which is a funny little bit. What comic do you think they're referencing when they say it's like the comics? Because they can't be referencing the Rocketeer. Um, (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I think they're adventure stories. And this movie itself is really a homage to 30s serials. You know, those 15-minute movies and whatever. Buck Rogers. Yeah. Was that around? Ray Gun kind of stuff. You know, things like that. It's, it's very evocative of that time and those stylistic designs. While they were at the movies, too, uh, they show that Hindenburg stand-in Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and there's that Nazi propaganda. And uh, Jennifer Connelly says at that point, you'd fly circles around that, which is funny because later on in the movie, he literally flies circles around it. There's lots of little Easter eggs. They do a lot of that kind of checkoff kind of thing. Yeah, this will come back up. Exactly. They set up a bunch of pins and they knock every single one of them down. The gum that he puts on the rudder in the very beginning. Right. There's a lot to do with rudders and a lot to do with gum in the whole movie. So <laughs> a lot of gum work. <laughs> There's a lot of gum work. When... <laughs> so they're on this date, you know, and while they're out having a kind of a, a shit time because Cliff is 
kind of an asshole. The injured gangster from earlier gets paid a visit by a crossover villain from Dick Tracy, Lothar. Another character actor, Tiny Ron. He's in all of the Naked Gun mm-hmm. and uh, Police Squad shows. He's the detective who's... The tall guy. Yeah, whose head's always out of frame. <laughs> They made him look like Rondo Hatton, who was a, a famous character actor at the, in the 30s. He's in a bunch of, like, monster flicks or whatever. Rondo Hatton, he got acromegaly from poisonous gas in World War I in France, which made him have those exaggerated features in his face. Wow, that's interesting. Before we leave the diner, mm-hmm. there's an older guy who they all seem to know, a townie, what have you. Malcolm. Malcolm. So Malcolm is telling a story to Sally at the diner and they pop off the propeller of the toy plane that he's holding when he's telling the story. It flies into Jenny's soup and Cliff takes it out of the soup and cleans it off with his mouth and gives it back to Patsy. It's so gross. I hated it. You can't just you can't just clean stuff like random stuff that somebody popped out of somebody's hand off with your mouth. Oh, hold on, let Could me you let imagine. Me, sorry, it's covered in soup. Let me just grab that. Yeah, no, okay, you don't is. do it. <laughs> He's an adult. He has no idea where that toy has been. Say you spilled your soup on someone and then you lick it off of them. That's not normal. He he sticks his gum everywhere. He, it's like he's always doing gum stuff. Beeman's gum. And a lot is made of his oral fixation in his gum. PV, in a very gross scene later, pulls, like, reaches in his mouth and Alan Arkins. Why is everybody in Cliff's mouth? He, he's rooting around in there. Mr. Secord, you have to, you have to police that. I know, it's bad. So, I don't know, maybe it's just Joe Johnson. Maybe he's got, like, a, he's got, like, a weird director thing, like uh, Tarantino, except his is just reaching in handsome pilot's mouths. <laughs> Tiny Ron, whenever he, whenever he leaves the hospital, did we talk about the hospital scene at all? Before we got off on the tangent, yeah, he he showed up and then he he literally be- he bent a man in half. Bent a man in half. This gigantic man also. They're looking to see who did it, and he. You can see that his feet are on a ledge and he shuffles away like a little cat. <laughs> That's a very funny moment. This movie has a ton of rock-solid comedic moments where they're doing the test flight and the rocket gets away and the camera pans to behind them and behind them you can see the rocket doing all kind of swerves. And There are things in this movie that are just genuinely funny that aren't jokes. They're simply editing jokes and simply like director-driven jokes because it's not like they wrote a joke on the screen. And there are some of those. There are like dialogue jokes, but this is a very funny movie. To me, this really puts me in mind of much later and which is kind of the whole point of this this whole project for me at least is discovering where we started with batman and where we're going to end with iron man and i think in rocketeer they have almost nailed the formula it's ironic that disney is the one doing it because there's action there's romance and there's comedy and it all happens in equally sized portions you could have made this a four-part miniseries easily everything is on style the fashion here the 30s style everything is cool the diner the diner is shaped like a big dog so i mean that's something to consider cliff during the date is a total jackass he makes a fool of himself and basically is ragging on his girlfriend to like a whole diner full of people she's chasing her dreams to be an actress and he's like, whoa, you, you held a bowl of fruit behind Myrna Loy. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah, he really zigs her with that a couple of times. It's like, dude, you're a stunt pilot who makes like... Can we just be cool for one second, Cliff? You're making like $10 a day that... You, well, $5. If you're making money. Yeah. He's making $10 to do the most dangerous thing he does. Well, 5 because he has to split it with PV. Exactly. Jenny is being done a disservice this whole movie, but there are some notable character actors in here. E.B. Farnham from Deadwood, he gets to make an appearance. Millie, who does a great job this whole time being a put-upon diner owner. I know her specifically from Justified. Um, She plays a crime boss in like season three or four somewhere in there. But yeah, there's tons of these folks. Paul Sorvino, Howard Hughes later is Terry O'Guinness. Terry O'Quinn, excuse me. So the next day, Jenny leaves. She's very dissatisfied, obviously, because Cliff sucks. But she's at work, and she's doing it. She's she's uh, maybe not an extra 
uh, but a featured extra, perhaps. She's looking good. She's dressed up in a Renaissance thing. They're trying to do the bit, and they can't get it. Jenny would have got the role if not for this other girl who's the producer's niece, and she keeps blowing the takes. So they finally get a perfect one, and Cliff has snuck onto this closed set, and like a big ding-dong, Actually, I don't know why. Why wouldn't you just stay around the back? He climbs into the set itself and knocks down a wall, ruining the take, and someone is injured. Did Sinclair just stab this man, or was he injured because of the wall fall? What do you guys think? I've got the feeling like Sinclair stabbed him regardless because he said, were you worried I was taking the scene? Ah. But I'm not sure if it was a joke. <laughs> so anyhow, Cliff ruins the thing and gets Jenny fired, but... While she's being fired, as she's like leaving, she's having a fight with Cliff. And Cliff's like, Yeah, but like you told me to like tell you first about things. And she's like, Dude, that does not mean to break onto set, you idiot. Anyhow, Sinclair overhears that he's got the rocket pack. So before she leaves for the day, he kind of swoops in. It's like, Hey, girl, why don't we go out to dinner? Maybe we could talk about rocket stuff. But like, let's get dinner first, then maybe rocket stuff. <laughs> Which brings us back to the airfield plane show. Because. Cliff is trying to patch things up with Jenny or whatever. He's just kind of a jerk. He's late, and Malcolm feels bad. The guy, the guy from the diner who blew up his spot real bad, he feels bad. So he's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do the clown show instead, and it doesn't go well, and he's about to crash. So in a moment of desperation, and just because he really wants to do it, <laughs> Cliff dons the jetpack and the new helmet PV made for him. And he asks PV, uh, how do I look? And PV says, like a hood ornament. <laughs> Alan Arkin, man, he's great. This guy is fucking rock solid. He is really good. He's a heavy hitter, but he's also a great character actor. He's really good in this. This is like right in his zone. He's really charming. There's a moment later where him and Cliff are talking and Cliff's like, oh, what do you know? You haven't been on a date since, you know, 1932. And he's like, oh, Nora Jones, uh, <laughs> Nora Friedman. Whatever it is. I, yeah. Nora Jones. Yeah, not, I can't say Nora Jones. I was trying to just say a generic one and I landed <laughs> on Nora Jones. <laughs> That's a real person. He didn't go on a date with Nora Jones in 1931. Wait, Different Nora Jones. It was like Flora Mayweather or something. I can't remember what it is. Flora Maxwell. But North Jones got them 35, so I, I feel it. So. Malcolm does some dumbass stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's all kind of flying shit, man. He, does he gets he, himself into trouble. He's about to get killed. That forces Cliff to test out the rocket before it's technically ready. And that's whenever PV sticks his finger in Cliff's mouth. And Cliff goes up. <laughs> he's got to get the gum. And he sticks it on the back of his rocket to tell you it might come in handy later. But then Cliff flies up. He's having a lot of trouble. There's a lot of goof-em-ups because his helmet works like a rudder. So when he turns it, it makes him turn. And whenever he... But he doesn't know it. But he finally does end up getting his head into Malcolm's crotch. <laughs> and it just looked like it might have been a scene from the porno uh, cocketeer. Oh, shit. Look through that open window. It's something flying this way. I don't believe my eyes. It looks like a flying silver dildo. No, it's not a silver dildo. It's the cocketeer. Watch out! He's coming straight for us. It's a real one. <laughs> it's a real. It's a real one. Anyway, we don't have to talk too much about that. But there is an adaptation. Let's just call it an adaptation called the cocketeer. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Let me feel your thrusters inside of me now. Oh, Wendy. There's another bit, too. After PV sticks his gum on the back, Cliff takes off and it blasts PV back like 10 feet. Mm -hmm. And they do that like four times in the movie. Yeah. PV just can't get used to that. My favorite of the rocket bits here, because they, they do a couple of him like flying around and trying to figure it out. He's like learning his powers or whatever. And he flies through like a homestead and gets a blanket on his face and then flies through a farmer's field. And it's like it's from the trailer where a bunch of farmers are standing there and said, oh, big over. It's just <laughs> it's just great. The comedic delivery of all of these little vignettes and bits is perfect. Ultimately, Malcolm's plane does go down and smashes into a gasoline truck again. Uh huh. Perfectly. There's a moment earlier where Bigelow had been like, all right, park the gas truck away from the from the airfield this time. The G-men realize mm -hmm. Howard Hughes has a vacuum and not the rocket because he reads the paper and the paper's headline, Flying Man Saves Pilot. 
but the sub headline okay much smaller <laughs> 26 killed 200 hurt in dixie tornado really burying the lead did we talk about this in ninja turtles how they make fake newspapers I hope that's like an industry. We didn't talk about it being an industry, but we did. I did remark on the sub headlines on a few of those newspapers. You can just buy from a company like, oh, I need a newspaper sheet. And it'll just be enough to get your headline in a picture. And then it'll just be like gobbledygook a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in like newspapers, those things aren't accounted for. They just wanted to get their business in. So there's a couple of like weird moments like that throughout movie history. In when you see a newspaper in a movie, be sure to give a quick scan, give a quick pause or whatever and check out some of the headlines because they'll always be wild. The Howard Hughes stuff here, they make him out to be James Bond in this movie. He's like the smartest person. He's like a Sherlock Holmes kind of character. It's kind of the basis for uh, Tony Stark. This kind of same huge, outsized genius. In the movie here, he says, where I don't work for the United States government, that's like a sentiment and and a thing that they... Hughes and the government butted heads over in airplane design and weapon design because they were like, well, you need to do it more like this. He'd be like, hey, bye, guys, come on. I did you some solids. But Howard Hughes did design stuff that that was used as weapons. <laughs> so the movie paints him in a kinder light where he wouldn't possibly do anything that could hurt somebody. But in real life, he didn't he didn't have those scruples. My dude was getting paid. So come on. The G-Men go look at the airfield, and they come upon Bigelow, who is now also folded in half, as Wilmer was before. When they see him, they're like, oh, shoot, maybe maybe there was something what this guy was saying. And they go back, and then, then they find Bigelow, and yeah, he is similarly folded up. Similarly creased. <laughs> creased in twain. A little involuntary yoga. <laughs> and then L- Lothar, yes, the big boy, now we know that he has an address for Peavy. And he shows up to Peavy's crib, and Peavy, to his credit, is defending as best he can, while Cliff shows up late, and Lothar immediately starts lifting him in his head into the ceiling. I call that a, a seven-feet cute. Okay. Damn it, this one was <laughs> hard to come by. I don't know, I think that one might be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a tall order, this movie. <laughs> okay, you win. That's it. I surrender. I surrender. <laughs> That's a great bit, though, when he smashes his head through the the, yeah. the ceiling a couple of times and looking for the rocket pack, which PV has cleverly hidden by putting a lampshade on. <laughs> That's another trope. Lampshade hanging. Mm-hmm. Back to Jenny and Neville, right? Oh, indeed. So they go to the seaside club which is where she's been dying to go with cliff and he basically uh has never taken her to like out to a fancy dinner so she finally gets the opportunity and it's with this hollywood star neville sinclair what did you guys think of the seaside club it was great they show you clark gable and the reason why they do that is clark gable was hitler's favorite actor he actually offered a sizable reward for his capture, alive and unscathed. He just wanted to have a little pet, Clark Gable. He wanted to have Clark Gable come hang out with him. <laughs> W.C. Fields does a boob joke. Oh, charmed, my dear. Doubly charmed. That was a pretty good one, uh, W.C. Fields there. Um, it's really fun. I really like it. But all I could think about was that band is on like a waterfall like inside of a clamshell and there's actual water like the man and they have mermaids yeah this, jasmine wind song this is jasmine wind song they got it all they call me jasmine wind <laughs> she did this one she makes the cut just like a lot of electronics real close to water uh, it doesn't seem great. A lot of fire code stuff, but this place is run by the gangsters, so you know that kind of stuff's gonna slide. It cuts between the club and PV and Cliff are at the restaurant. So they're at the club, PV Cliff at the restaurant, and we think we don't think we know that Neville's a bad dude after mm-hmm. the rocket. But at this point, it seems like. Him and Jenny are just having a nice date. It's a nice date. And the dancing, very romantic, where he's dancing, quiet, and then it starts. You must let me have this dance. (laughs) There's no music. Really? He's charming. I hear music. I was a little Timothy Dalton, man. 
pretty good stuff. And then we cut to the diner where the most aggro mobsters show up. It's like a Disney version of History of Violence, man. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, they're throwing coffee against the wall. They're... What did he shoot? He shot something. The jukebox, maybe? He pushes the pie as hard as he can against the wall. And then after that, he says, I like coffee with my pie. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I don't like music while I'm digesting. And he shoots the jukebox. Yeah, so he's like incredibly aggro. Another couple of solid heavies and a ton of stuff. Yep. This head gangster here as well. As well as the FBI man. They see Jenny's number on the wall. And it matches what they found at the airfield, which is the picture of Jenny. Mm-hmm. So they have Jenny's phone number. They call and find out that she is with Sinclair at the club. And that's what kind of sets off those hijinks. So that's the, everything's kind of boiling up at this point. Right. And so they bail, leave half the, the gangsters there. Cliff is remaining anonymous for now until one of the mobsters sees on the wall a picture of... Him and Jenny. Yeah. Then stuff really starts to pop off. They're looking for him for a while and beating everybody up and everyone's kind of doing, oh, I don't, don't know. I've never seen him. Kind of like a Roger Rabbit stuff. They outsmart the mobsters, but in the kerfuffle, the rocket is damaged by a bullet. Uh-huh. And a little Chekhov's gum coming up here. <laughs> That's too good. Just did that one. <laughs> what they don't show you, though, is whenever he took that gum off him, was it the day before? No, it was hours before he took the gum off. But that gum would have been so hard by then. There's no way it was malleable. So thankfully they skipped the scene where Peavy takes the gum off the back of the rocket, works it around in his mouth for a while. Oh, it gets it moist. And then puts it back over the hole. This is like 30s gum, so it could literally just be a piece of rubber, and I would not be surprised about that. (laughs) Yeah, we just, we flavor the rubber, we chew it, and we spit it out when we're done. See? (laughs) Cliff blasts off and also blasts Peavy back 10 feet again. Another little rocket gag here. He says, All right, Peavy, stand clear. What was that? And blast him. Yeah, and at this point, I have to pee really bad, so... I'll be right back. <laughs> Cliff blasts off because he knows he has to get to the club. Yeah, so he flies off to the South Sea Club. This is where we see all like the little impersonations here of all the, the famous guys. And then Sinclair and the gangsters are kind of coming head to head they're kind of like clashing here and then cliff rockets into the building and infiltrates and it's a good trope where you steal like a waiter's outfit but in this case we're meant to believe that he fits this waiter's jacket on over his very cool leather aviator jacket and i i think that's just great the waiter coat over the leather jacket is definitely a look i was a a huge (laughs) fan of watching him walk around like looking like a overstuffed bag of laundry he walks up and he's gonna wait on jenny and sinclair and give them soup and he's like hey i I didn't order soup he's like a fan sent you soup eat the soup a fan of yours sent some soup over before he puts the soup in the bowl he slips jenny a note and says like meet me by the big fish and then he's doing a very bad job at literally everything he's very conspicuous i don't know what he's very good at but espionage and shit ain't it the same for him but she eventually gets mad he's blowing up her spot she's like i'm on a date with the third most famous man in the world like you're fucking this shit up and they have an argument and he basically tells her that i'm the rocketeer and he's like i I don't know what that means and i don't care about that (laughs) she's like okay i'm just gonna leave and she leaves and then he gets chased by lothar but she doesn't leave for good she eventually comes back for plot reasons he carelessly sets fire to the South Seas with his rocket, too, at this point, I believe. Uh, not carelessly. Not carelessly. Intentionally. He rockets slowly around this room, <laughs> lighting everything on fire. How come it doesn't set his pants on fire? Or his boots? Um, Hugh Science. Okay. What you don't see is he has to maintain, like, a, a squatty potty position in order to avoid burning his little boots. <laughs> right. Feet up. Tucked. <laughs> He has to do a toe touch. A to lot of a lot of core. You got to have a lot of core strength for yeah. So work. so Cliff just completely destroys the club, and Neville Sinclair busts out a Tommy gun in the middle of the club, which I thought was pretty ballsy, considering he's very famous and high profile. It seems like he should have been busted on being a bad guy much earlier. In defense to the crowd, if 
you were having dinner with your lady. It's a big day. And then a rocket man comes blasting over your table. That's a $100 steak. You might not notice the third highest grossing film actor with a Tommy gun. I would applaud him like, yes, shoot this rocket boy. Shoot rocket man. He's could be a show. I would hate this. <laughs> Please shoot him. He tried to kill me with flames. <laughs> Eventually, the rocketeer gets away. He bursts out through the ceiling. Jenny saves him by smashing a vase over Lothar's head, but is caught in the process. She loves smashing stuff on heads. She does it a lot. It's very effective for her. It's kind of her special move. But she gets got and chloroformed. There's no good joke for this one. It's a bad luck. There's no good bit for a famous actor chloroforming a less famous actress. There's no good joke. There's nothing good. This is all bad. Rock it away. I'm rocketing it away from this. But then immediately after she wakes up, he offers her a drink. And I'm thinking, I don't think she does give him shit. It's pretty bold of him to say like, oh, just drink this. No, thanks, bud. No, thanks. I'm not drinking your stuff. I know what you're capable of. Yeah, exactly. But he wants to get her in something more comfortable. And he's got a gang of women's clothes in his little secret lair. Goodness. That's really gross. That's a bad look. Because, like, okay, like, if you're into, like, them, that's fine. It's a bad look because that's, like, a red flag. Like, you got to get out of there because you're about to get disappeared. And she already knows that. He's already taken you to a second location. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're at, you're at the secondary location. Who's the dude who does the architectural engineering? Not Frank Scott Key. He does the song. Are you talking about Falling Water Guy? Yeah. Um, Frank uh, Lloyd Wright? He's taking you to a Frank Lloyd Wright secondary location. Is that right? Google that real quick. It is right. Okay. It's Frank Lloyd Wright. But listen, listen, she she handles this shit. So she wakes up. She assesses the situation. She looks around the room. She's like, shit, this bitch done kidnapped me. And so she's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. She goes to the door. She sees him coming out of a secret chamber. And she's like, fuck, this guy is mad crazy. He has definitely done this before. From that point on, she just plays along, and I must say, she plays your dude like a fucking fiddle and then smashes his ass on the head. Yeah, and she says, I finally played a scene with Neville Sinclair. Great. She busts out of that room, and Lothar is is downstairs crushing some wings, I think. (laughs) What is that? What is that? This is not the only time. He will be eating later as well. Uh, He's just crushing some wings. uh, That's so great. He's like barbecue sauce. It looked good. He's off duty, and he's... It's Lothar's time for lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine how much a seven-foot-tall dude has to eat. Oh, God, constantly. 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 Andre the Giant stuff, man. Oh, yeah, he had to drink, like, a case of beer before he would get a buzz. It's like 32 beers in a sitting. She finally finds a way into his secret lair by pulling on Conquest of Casanova, which is another funny thing. Funny little gag. Is that a reference to something or just because it's saying Conquest of Casanova? Like, I think it's just he's like a ladies' man. Yeah, okay. That's the story of Casanova, by the way. Sorry. That's how he probably gets all his gals in there. Certainly. He is nefarious. He's the conquesting type if he has that much in the way of women's clothes. She finds out inside this thing that, yeah, he's a, he's a Nazi spy. It turns out that the conquest of women isn't the only thing that Neville Sinclair is hoping to conquer. As we find out, he's a Nazi sympathizer and spy and fascist saboteur. Fascist saboteur, all of it self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. You usually get those in so much smoother than that, though. Wow. Hey, baby. What can you do? She tries to radio out, and it's all Germans. And then she gets recaptured by Sinclair and Lothar. A lot of people getting kidnapped in this one. That's people kinda... keep getting got, and I think at this point, Cliff Secord gets got by the FBI. After, they really fuck up his house. Was that the FBI that was mowing it down? It couldn't have been the mob. Yeah, they're real horny for them Tommy guns. And they just tore it in half with their guns. Lothar was shooting back. Lothar was pretty cool. He's got dual 45s. They look like little squirt guns. Who shot first? Lothar. Lothar did shoot first? Lothar killed the first guy at the door. But still, that was not quite a measured response. There could have been hostages in there they have to assume there are hostages what about the house behind that house or like next door or anything or kids playing at the park they shot like twenty thousand rounds into this house the house fell down because they shot it so much they get grabbed and they get taken to in a weird twist howard hughes's office pv was already there and he is telling 
Howard Hughes about the rocket and saying, there's nothing to it, Howard, basic aviation. So they're, they're trying to convince these guys to get them to work with them, and they show them... A snuff film. <laughs> they put on this movie of, like, rocket men, like, burning, like, flying through the skies with flamethrowers, and that is absolutely animated by Disney animators. And I don't know what they're working on in 91. Uh, probably like um, Beauty and the Beast, maybe Little Mermaid. So can you imagine being – you're sitting in your at, at Disney. Next office over. <laughs> you get the Luftwaffe. You've been drawing teapots all week. You're just making them look just so. And some guy says, hey, uh, I need you to mock up a quick uh, uh, reel for me. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. What is it? I was like, I need a bunch of Nazi rocket men. Or you lean over to one of the other animators and say, hey, can I borrow your red paint? For this swastika? (laughs) It's a real weird moment. It's weird. It's not the first swastika that they've drawn for Disney. (laughs) Ay, Dios mio. They show them trying out their prototypes of their jetpacks. Which is always fun. And the guy goes up and explodes immediately. Speaking of Iron Man. And I got this off IMDb. But on IMDb it says that that is a cameo of Dave Stevens who's the guy who wrote The Rocketeer originally. And yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's pretty nice. It's a wild scene, but that's the big reveal. And then they're like, well, you saw that cartoon movie about Rocket Boys, obviously. And he's like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess we got to help you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm on board now. I watched the movie. I saw it. Cliff ain't having it because he needs the rocket for one last moment to save his gal. Yep. And uh, he grabs on to Howard Hughes' prototype of the Spruce Goose and he coasts out of there on <laughs> oh, like a man. paper airplane. This sucked. Yeah, and Howard Hughes says, uh, The son of a bitch will fly. Oh, I hated that. Because everyone told him the Spruce Goose wouldn't fly. I hated that so much. So they're going to the drop after that, and you get a first sight of Lothar's car, <laughs> which is awesome. Because it's been modded to remove the roof since he real tall. Lothar's great, though. No shit. Every time Lothar's on screen, I'm like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm in for a treat here, buddy. They do a meetup at the Griffith Observatory, which is pretty fun. And then we get a huge showdown. You got the gangsters. You got the Nazis. You got the feds. And then the feds and the gangsters join up and have a huge shootout which is great there's a bunch of great moments where there's like a gangster tommy gun and some people and then a, a fed like walks up next to him and they like look at each other and like yeah kill the nazis Woo! and then they all shoot together that was a really cool scene though because that's where eddie valentine finds mm-hmm. out that he's dealing with nazis and he at that point is like no yeah i can't there's many terrible things I'd do for money, but not that. He's a great patriot. That's like his turning point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. Eddie Valentine's awesome. Are you guys on the edge of your seats for my novelization information? <laughs> <laughs> so in the parallel to Captain America, the first Avenger, uh-huh. in the novelization, you find out that the reason why that is the sticking point for Eddie Valentine is he lied about his age to enlist in World War One and had been a decorated war hero. Mm-hmm. So there you go. He would do anything to fight for America. And actually, it's a true historical that one of the greatest weapons that America had against Nazi spies would be the mob because there were no friends of Mussolini mm-hmm. who destroyed their Sicilian homes. Exactly. So, you know... Eddie Valentine. So it's backed up in, uh, you know, historical accuracies. Like you said, I'm guessing here Joe Johnson is a bit of a war nerd, you know, like putting all of these historical, factual Easter eggs, hiding them in this movie about a man with a rocket. And, you know, it just really shows his love of this era and his knowledge about that, too. It's very interesting. But for the most part, it's just kind of action sequences from here on out. Cliff fights Lothar on top of the Zeppelin. Cliff destroys the rudder on the Zeppelin first, too. Yeah, kind of by accident. Which is another another thing, right? They it's all about rudder trouble (laughs) well the helmet's like a rudder cliff was rudderless at the beginning of the movie the nazis rudderless at the end as you were saying he fights lothar up on the top of the zeppelin and i think lothar must be wearing like a steel cod piece because he tries to (laughs) kick him in the nuts and it just goes like ding (laughs) and lothar is completely unfazed you know he's just specially trained let's say that you have to be able to kick pretty high to get lothar in the nuts (laughs) Him being seven feet tall, I don't know what his inseam is, but that's a pretty high kick. That's like a punter kick. This is when Cliff is flying circles around the Zeppelin, the literal 
representation of what Jenny said earlier that he would do if it was a race. So it's a payoff. He flies over the one side over to the other to continue his fight. And they say whenever the Zeppelin is going wonky on the inside, the guy says, the pilot is a real pro. He will not let us down. And I thought that would be a very poor review for a pilot. (laughs) (laughs) He won't. He's up in the air or nothing. No, eventually I need to be let down. Eventually, like, no, 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 just up, no down. No, he will not lay down. But anyway, that was just a bit for them. He then falls out the side of the Zeppelin. Oh, everybody's falling out the windows in this one. They're all being literally let down. Lothar smashes through a window. All of the crew falls out of various windows. They get shot out of windows. That's not the only thing that drops read oh the other thing that drops is sinclair's british accent uh-huh uh-huh. <laughs> he says yeah he switches uh once he's found out down at the observatory he goes full commando mm-hmm. or full german full nazi cliff holds his own uh against lothar jenny kills a guy Jenny, my girl, she she kills a bunch of people. She does all right for herself in this, considering she does most of it in like a satin nighty, for mm-hmm. Christ's sake. <laughs> but the whole thing, the, the rudders thing is about to crash. They have a final standoff. All of the other Germans are dead. And it's just Sinclair, Cliff, and Jenny left. Eventually, Cliff exchanges the jetpack for Jenny. And before he does, like Sam said, he removes the gum that was holding the fuel tank in place and Sinclair jets away and blows up triggering an explosion in the Zeppelin that they have to flee from and are rescued at the very end by PV and Howard Hughes in an experimental helioplane. Cliff fights Sinclair inside the Zeppelin before he takes off Mm -hmm. and he says, where's your stunt guy now? And he says, I do my own stunts. And that (laughs) is a reference to Timothy Dalton being the only Bond, I, at least at the time, I'm not sure if it's still true, to have done his own stunts. There you go. He's flexing here. He does a bunch of good rapier work. He does a bunch of good fight stuff. Another funny bit is whenever he is flying out in the rocket pack, he says he's going to miss Hollywood, and then he lands on the land part of Hollywood land. So he literally misses Hollywood, but he hits land. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. Cliff gets the gal and gets a new plane, courtesy of his boy, Howard Hughes. So they're back in the Nationals. And that's pretty much it. That kind of wraps up the Rocketeer. For me, I was surprised by how many times this like got an honest-to-God laugh out of me. There was a solid comedic bent to this. I thought it looked great. It was a little bit long in the middle, but overall, I think the effects, I thought they were going to look really bad. Even when he was flying around during bright, blue daylight i think all the jetpack stuff looked really great i was most surprised that bill campbell didn't become a bigger actor after this did he i I don't think he ever he ever really broke out after this. no i would think this big flick would be just the thing to jumpstart your career i mean he did a bunch of tv like tv series uh some some dramas some i don't know if they were soaps or what but Whenever I read his Wikipedia, they looked to be uh, like long-running television programs. I don't get it. Well, yeah, this is kind of his only thing. He's. I thought it was awesome. I think it's a a crime that no sequel was made. So much so that I wrote down crime that no sequel was made. And then when I was looking it up, I saw as of February 9th, 2020. (laughs) What's a year ago now? But Rocketeer 2 in development at Disney+. Plus. There we go. All right, well, well, we'll get into the reception and the box office in just a second, but before we do, we got to step into the comic convergence. Reach the Dave Stevens gave the production team his entire reference library. Dave Stevens, who created the Rocketeer, and he gave them all his drawings for the auto gyro the bulldog cafe drawings the uniforms for the air circus staff and contacts for locating the vintage aircrafts and then he he has been quoted as saying they literally just took the reference and built the sets so everything is exactly as the original comic book creator 
had imagined, envisioned, and gave to the production team. Some of the later works and some of you know uh, the things that came after are a little bit more mature. One of those I would suggest is you can, you can get actually free on your library app right now is uh, Rocketeer and the Cargo of Doom. And it's basically, um, you can kind of envision it just like a sequel to The Rocketeer, if you're looking, if you've watched this and you, you kind of want a sequel, it takes place years after the events and uh, everyone's grown up. In this version, it's Patsy is grown up and, uh, and her name in, her name in the comics is Sally as well as Jenny is um, Betty. And Betty is a likeness for Betty Page. Yes. Who Dave Stevens was friends with. And they wanted to name Jenny Betty in the movie, but Betty Page didn't want her name in the movie. That explains that. This is one of my first comics that I ever owned was actually the comic movie adaptation, which is my background, as you can see. And you might see why this might be a, a, something I was interested in as a youth. It's a kind of like a shot-for-shot shot remake of the movie. There's a butt on that page. Yeah. It's the scene of Jenny getting ready for her date. The adaptation was actually done by the original author, which I thought was really, really cool. So like the style is right on and, and pretty perfect. And it was one of my favorite comic books because I probably read the comic more than I ever watched the movie because I was watching it for this review and I was like, man, this seems like kind of like weird and truncated. Am I remembering a different version? And I was digging around in my old comic books and I realized that I was remembering the adaptation version and it's almost shot for shot but it's it is a little more truncated but it it is great and i don't think you can get it anywhere i was trying to look earlier today to see if i could get a a new copy but um they're about there if you want to buy them i think they're like 20 bucks Uh, but it's a lot of fun i enjoyed the comics for sure and this one is certainly a spot on representation as sam had mentioned that this is um basically they took all of his uh inspiration and uh reference as well the budget on this one this was an expensive movie uh this one came out at 35 million dollars was the budget the opening weekend we got 9.6 and the grand total was 46.7 million so it made its budget back but i'm guessing with the 46 there it only really covered its advertising campaign which was pretty robust if i recall correctly i mean it's got a great look the Art Deco poster is just gorgeous. I mean, that would be something that I would just hang in my house just because it looks so nice. You know what I mean? Get a nice print of that. Mm. The old car budget alone. I mean, but all that money is on screen. It's $35 million and you can see it all. They spent their money wisely. It's all worth it. On the Tomatometer, we got uh, 66%. Uh, the audience is 65 Metacritic, about the same critics. It got a 61 And user score, higher, slightly, at a 7.7. All right. So that takes us into our penultimate segment. Who's your hero? Who's your villain? The obvious hero in this movie is uh-huh. Eddie Valentine. Ah. Uh-huh. War hero, willing to do what it takes to get by. Yep. He's willing to crack skulls, but not the skull of Lady Liberty. <laughs> Well, for me, I, I got to go with PV. PV's just so great. He's Johnny on the spot. He has this moment where he pines after this woman, and they're making fun of him, and he's, Cliff is like, you haven't been on a date since 1932. And he said, ah, oh, Nora Jones. Uh, I, I, <laughs> after you go on a date with Nora Jones, why would you ever want to go on a date again? And I'm just like, Alan Arkin, in, in literally one sentence, selling a whole character. Like, that is, th- this man is good. This man has talent and pv is just great he fixes everything he's as smart as howard hughes so he's my hero my villain if not hitler if not hitler what what it's got to be cliff secord okay so it's just a blanket statement like obviously hitler is the villain yeah if there's a nazi movie and hitler isn't your villain i don't know what i see um but it's got to be cliff secord uh he's a jerk to his girlfriend He's always putting stuff in his mouth that doesn't belong there. I hate that. Hate to see it. (laughs) He steals the rocket, which causes all this nonsense. He destroys the South Seas Club. Even at the very end, whenever Howard Hughes asks him what it's like to go up in the thing, he says, it's as close to heaven as he'll ever get. And only upon seeing his girlfriend after that saying, well, maybe not the closest. But, you know, you get what he means. He hasn't grown as a character, even one iota. He's the same flyboy scallion he is from the very beginning 
Yeah, he kind of sucks. I think all of his interactions with Jenny really suck. Like, even when he's, like, being the hero, he still kind of sucks. He's kind of, he's, like, mean. He's like, insults her. And she's like, I'm on a date with, like, Neville, uh, whatever his name is, Longbottom. And <laughs> I like, I'm loving it. <laughs> And he's like, well, yeah, well, shut up about your stupid acting job. All you ever do is hold grapes, you dumb idiot. And I'm like, (laughs) why are you with this man? Look, so I will say that my villain is a villain, but it's a positive. It's a villain that I loved. And it's Jenny's landlady because she knows Cliff Seeker's trash. Mm -hmm. And he needs to get the hell out of here. He's no good for her. No, obviously she could do so much better. She should be famous if not if she wasn't hanging around with this knucklehead down at the airstrip. All right. Well, before we get to what we thought and whether or not we'd recommend this movie, let's take a look and see what's up on the list. Is it Adam's family? Adam's family. Yes, you are correct. Oh, uh, that's very exciting. <laughs> Raul Julia, a.k.a. M. Bison from Street Fighter. Gomez, come on, baby. Morticia. It's such a, it's such a positive like role model couple there, too. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to get into this. Easily a rewatchable movie. Uh, time, period, piece. I think they nail all of that vibe. They give you a lot of good character actors doing Clark Gable being in at W.C. Fields, that golden age of Hollywood. It transports you to the time and it's it's fun i mean i don't know it was it was a blast i'd watch it with my kids except for the people getting folded in half (laughs) fast forward a little bit i had a good time it's the aesthetics are great the effects are wonderful for me it dragged a little bit in the middle i think it could probably lose about 20 minutes overall as a movie so not perfect but um honestly the aesthetics really kind of make up for a lot a lot of those character actors like sam said are putting in solid work there is nothing about this movie that isn't like just really chugging All right, friends, I think that just about ought to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Hit us up at uh, nerdaplexy at gmail.com or over on Twitter at nerdaplexypod. Let us know how you felt about Rocketeer, and we will uh, read your responses on the next mini-episode. Uh, special thank you to our social media manager, Dave. You can catch him at the face of Dave on Twitter. Uh, special thank you also to the cast and crew of the Rocketeer. This one was uh, such a blast. Hey, Rocket Jokes. Uh, <laughs> and we're looking forward to Adam's family coming up next. We're on a nostalgia tour, guys, so strap in. Uh, you can catch me at pgh underscore read on twitter and sam you can grab over at pgh underscore svh uh now until we hit you with that next mini episode i'd like to leave you with this thought to ponder once they put the thin helmet on it was technically a guided system so not technically a rocket so i think you know be more apt to call him the missile tier missile man missile boy <laughs>